the technology that's kind of being made available allows you to do things that in the existing financial services ecosystem are really just not possible. I could send either of you a full Bitcoin right now and it would take like what? Let's five, see it. Five let's minutes. see how it works. Just shoot me a quick full Bitcoin. <laughs> let's see. Let's let, let's see, let the audience see how that works real quick. Stack my money up like Lego. Bet me when I say so. Pull up in the What's up, world? You guys are tuning in to another episode of Money Music Culture. Right now, I'm sitting here with my dog, my co-host, Brandon Copeland. And we got a very, very special guest. And that's my dog, Tim Maloney, who is a CIO. But I'm not going to really introduce him first. I'm going to let him introduce himself. Tim, thanks so much for joining us, bro. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. I am doing well. Uh, I guess if I had to introduce myself, I'd say I've come a long way since I first met Ross back in our... Uh, Morgan Stanley days. Yeah, I'm, I'm Chief Investment Officer and Co-Founder at Roundhill Investments. Uh, we have a suite of ETFs focused on all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, the metaverse, I think, will be a, a key piece of this conversation. We also have a gaming one, sports betting. Really, our, our thing is creating products that we think appeal to a, a different audience than maybe our peers are, are looking to, to kind of serve and then trying to reach them as best we can across Twitter, across, you know, social media and some of these other channels that are also underused. So, um, but I'm happy to be here, happy to get into, uh, you know, any anything about what I'm doing at Round Hill or if we want to go down the crypto rabbit hole, that's uh, it's always fun too. No, man. Thanks so much. Hey, well, before that, before that, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to cut you off, but before that, I need some dirt on Ross, man. The world <laughs> needs some dirt on Ross, man. Tell us about the, the Morgan Stanley days, man. What was he like, man? Did he come in all nerdy? You know, did he come in with the pants up to here and all that stuff? <laughs> Tell me about Ross, man. Oh, man. I, I don't know if you're going to get what you want here. If I remember correctly, he was kind of like the social chair of our analyst class. Uh, he was the first one who was like, hey, guys, it's Monday, first day. Who wants to go to, uh, what was that place, Johnny Utah's with the bull? <laughs> I don't think he got on the bull, but he nah. was definitely the one who got us there. So so we're talking yeah, circa, like we're talking circa 2012. All of us was extremely rough around the edges. Damn, that's 10 years ago. So extremely rough around the edges. None of us knew what we were doing. But as you can see, a few of us stuck with it, and that being my dog, Tim. And so just to even bag it up, right, like one of the things I always tell a person when they have no idea about investing, one of the things I always tell them is like, look, when you first start investing, the very first thing you should probably do, right, is obviously open a brokerage account. But after that is buy an ETF. So it's crazy that you, you know, our CIO of a suite of ETF funds, but can you just even explain, you know, one, what an ETF is and what are the benefits of it? Yeah, absolutely. So ETF stands for exchange traded fund, and that's basically what it is. It's a fund. So a basket of securities and in our case, always stocks. Um, you can make them global in nature. So our ETFs own stocks listed in the U.S., but also all over the world, which is kind of an added benefit because if you're a U.S. investor, you can't buy those. Um, and really, we manage the fund for you, and it trades on an exchange like a stock. So if you want to invest, you buy it, you can hold it. We're going to rebalance it, reconstitute, new names will come in, old names will go out. Um, we really manage it, and, and we get paid a fee for doing that. It's, you know, it's not the 2 and 20 that the hedge fund guys are getting, but you know, we do get compensated for it. But in my mind, it's a really good way, especially when you look at thematic ETFs, uh, and especially when you look at people new to investing, it's a way to express a view on something you're passionate about and that you care about without having to do all the homework and figure out which companies are involved in that space. 
And that's really the uh, the use case that we're most excited about that we cater to. When you when you talk about an ETF, and obviously, like you said, you're putting in the management time, you're rebalancing and reallocating the portfolio or the fund, right? Like for uh, an investor that is interested in purchasing an ETF, what are some of the things you think they should be looking for when deciding between different ETFs within the same industries or same spaces? All right, real quick, man. If you enjoying the show, make sure you follow and subscribe Money Music Culture on all platforms. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, I think that, and this is how I do it when I'm looking at ETFs that aren't ours, it, it helps to look under the hood. So ETFs are very transparent. You can go in and check on our website every day what's in our holdings, like what's in the basket. Um, so to me, you go, you look, and you know, for any given theme, there's going to be a couple companies you know of, right? So if you look at sports betting, you're going to know DraftKings, you're going to know FanDuel, which is owned by Flutter, and you're going to want to see those. But once you look at that, you know, find a couple names you don't know, do a little research on those. And if they look like they're involved in the theme and it looks like a well-constructed basket, then, you know, you're putting your faith a little bit in the managers, but it's better than doing the homework on all kind of 25 to 40 to 50, however many names there are. Um, but that's the process I do. I just go look under the hood and say, you know, what are these guys buying? Yeah. So you, you, interestingly enough, you got a hat on and that's nerd. Tell us about that ETF. Yeah. So this is our first fund. Uh, so this hat has some nostalgia value for me. Um, the dollar sign, in case anyone's wondering, it's meant to speak to like on Twitter when you cash tag things. Um, if I had a nickel for every time someone said, what's snurred? <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd probably be able to retire from Roundhill. So, so yeah, this hat, when we launched our first fund, um, we knew we were going to try to do things differently. One thing we tried to do was we made a ton of hats. Uh, I'm running low now, but we made a ton of hats and we basically gave them out as merch um, because everyone remembers it. And I think, you know, as a result, this, this hat has a special place in the history of Roundhill, but I also think it just looks kind of cool. So figured it'd be appropriate today. The Nerd Fund is our first ETF. It's focused on esports and digital entertainment. So it, I think a lot of people hear that and they say, what's that? It, it's really kind of a portion of the gaming industry. It extends a little bit beyond gaming, strictly speaking, in some ways, but it's also not all gaming, right? So if you have a, a single player game and that's your core kind of title as a company, you're probably going to be less likely to be involved in or included in nerd than a company whose, you know, major properties are involved in esports or there's a you know big esports scene around them. That's epic. Man, you got yeah, you like you said, that's epic. You gotta, you know, forgive me for my my ignorance. I'm just the you know, I'm the guy that I'm I'm always asking the dumb questions. I hit my head a lot, Tim, so I apologize, but you know, <laughs> I, I wanna know so obviously CIO Roundhill Investments, right? And when you're talking about so so can you break down how you look at the different companies that you would potentially put in nerd or or any of your funds it's a great question and i think how we approach it it's an important clarification so when we look at we use nerd as the example we're looking at companies not for whether they're you know cheap on pick your you know favorite metric valuation right uh, really what we're trying to do is saying how how much is this stock going to be correlated to the growth of esports and digital entertainment or of sports betting and of the metaverse. We're not trying to pick the winners within a theme. We're trying to pick all the companies that are most exposed to a theme and a company should have a higher weight if they're more exposed. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it is a little different than what say Kathy Wood's doing at ARC. And, and I think they've had tremendous success doing something different. Um, but we're not, we're not active stock pickers in the traditional sense. We are trying to get the best exposure to the theme 
by putting the right companies in there. And ultimately, we view it as it's the investors bet on a theme, right? If we pick a sector that ends up not doing well or becomes too competitive or that the companies just don't execute, like that, that's going to feed through into price. And we're going to not expect that to do so well over time. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, a, that's awesome because that, that for me is like, like you said, you, your, your strategy is different than others' strategies. And I think that that's something to really highlight there because a lot of people think that, you know, or, or a lot of people assume that an ETF is trying to pick the quote unquote winners within a space. However, like you say, you're rising tide, you know, I don't know what the, the I'm completely fuck up the terminology, but a rising tide raises all ships or something like that. Right. So um, it's pretty dope to understand that there are different strategies for ETFs as well. And and I guess you know taking a step backwards, like and backing up, you know, again, I'm I'm sorry, we, we not to talk about your Morgan Stanley days more, but how do we get here? Like, what I'm interested in is like, like obviously you both put in all that hustle, all that hard work in Morgan Stanley. You know, you wanted to have you know be MDs, right? Everybody wanted to be an MD at some point, right? How did you get here? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think um, I really got to see the the institutional investing world from both sides. So at Morgan Stanley, I was in sales. I covered uh, hedge funds in what I like to say is the world's biggest casino, which is currency markets. Mm -hmm. um, that was a great experience for me. I learned probably a year or so in, maybe two, said to myself, do I, do I want to do this or do I want to be in the on the other side of the phone? Do I want to be making the investment decisions? Because that was always what was interesting to me. Um, Turns out uh, the banks sometimes aren't as kind to their workforce as they'd like you to think. So there was a big round of layoffs in 2015. I got caught. I'm okay with that. It turned out really well for me in the long run. But I took a step back and said, I want to be in a, in a trading or investing seat. How can I find that? Ended up moving out to Northern California, where I am now. Got a job trading investment-grade bonds. So I think something, uh, something Ross knows a little bit about. Um, maybe we're equal in knowledge now. When I started, though, you know a lot more than I did. Did that for a couple of years. And really, my, my biggest takeaway was the financial services industry, as you look at it, it's it's for the, I don't want to just say the wealthy, because a lot of them are institutions, but it's for the, the big players, right? It's it's large size transactions. And really, that's where the industry does pretty well. And I think there's some problems with it, but that's who who the industry serves well. But I really felt like the the average investor, the average kind of, you know, person out there opening now a Robin Hood, but at the time, you know, whatever the best marketed app was there really wasn't anyone focused on them and to me like we can make it we can make the message like as altruistic as we want and that was a part of it but that was just an opportunity right if everyone else is like building these business models around institutions and then accidentally sometimes it works for the self-directed investor like why not just try and cater to that audience altogether and that's kind of what we've done um so really i would say that my two experiences prior to round hill almost taught me what not to do in a way, and that's nothing against those experiences, um, but it, it showed me that there was an opportunity. And I think, frankly, crypto was a big part of this in 2017, right before we started the business. If you went on Twitter, you could see these really intelligent conversations being basically, you know, guided by anonymous, you know, PFP, you know, who knows who these people are, but they were talking about the world of crypto and how it's changing the world and which investments to make. And I said to myself, there's interest in this. There's people out there who want to do their own homework, who don't want the Morgan Stanleys of the world telling them what to think. Why don't we try to tap into that with something that's a little bit more of a traditional wrapper and see if it can catch? And that's kind of how we how we got here. So a little bit of a roundabout story, but um, 
tried a couple things, didn't love it, and saw an opportunity. Oh, it's amazing how you got to where you're at. And, you know, I'd be remiss if I wanted to congratulate you. You're crushing it right now. Thank and you. to give you an idea where I'm at, right, I have a investment club. And one of the things I say to, to the people, you know, in my investment club, in the Macanomics Club, is, yo, when it comes to getting exposure to certain, you know, one of the sites I use is ETF.com, where you literally just go on there and just say, yo, I want to look at, you know, artificial intelligence, self-driving or electric vehicles. You just type it in, right? And one of the things I love to do is I, you know, try to say, where's the world going to be in five years from now, even three years from now? And one of the biggest markets that everybody is looking at is the metaverse, right? And obviously, this is money, music, culture. And one of the things we think about is, okay, who controls the culture, right? It's, you know, it's the musicians, right? And, um, you know, it's the athletes. And one of the things we're seeing is that everybody's going to the metaverse. We got Snoop Dogg buying a lot of land. We got Jay-Z buying Bitcoin. We got, you know, rappers now getting advances. Uh, we got Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber doing concerts, right? Two chains doing concerts in the metaverse. And so one of the things that I saw was that when I looked and I saw that you were launching the first ever metaverse etf i told everybody yo i love this guy we work together i know him personally i'm buying some of it i think you guys should do the same and i think one thing i want you to do is just even educate my community or better yet the money music culture community on one what's your view on the metaverse and what do you see it you know in five years from now yeah so the metaverse itself is notoriously hard to define um we actually work with a partner on on this fund who who managed the index for us so that process i described they're the ones he has a team that manages it and the reason for that is um it, it's it's not a super easy to define concept at this point the way we look at it from an investment point of view though is there aren't metaverse companies yet right there are some that are investing heavily in the metaverse but as far as like you know a revenue line item it's a little hard to find so what we've tried to do with this fund is essentially break down the, the elements that will ultimately make up the metaverse once it kind of reaches that point. And, and it, we do so into seven different buckets and then say, okay, of the companies in these buckets, which ones are building towards that future and which ones are kind of not? And let's own the ones that are building towards that future. And I think it's an important distinction because like this theme in particular, metaverse is it, it's probably on Meta Platform Inc.'s you know, line financial statements now, but it's not really an item on most financial statements. But that doesn't mean that the, the elements that will make up the metaverse over time aren't being built and being invested very heavily into. And you really want to get there to those companies as they build it and develop the, the IP that will be valuable or the technology that will be valuable. So at the highest level, if you want to go find like a metaverse company right now, you're actually getting a company that's very actively involved in some core element of what will be the metaverse, but the metaverse itself it's hard to say it exists, right? There's a ton of elements that go into it. Um, we'll get there. I'm very confident in that. I'm excited about it. Uh, but that's how we look at like this product in particular. And look, when you're early to a theme like this, you have to get a little creative in how you actually construct a product. And so as you're thinking about it, right, we're thinking, right, what will the metaverse look like? Because I see, as you say, you're building out effectively the components that will build out the metaverse, right? And that might be whether it's semiconductors or people actually developing games, like what will the metaverse look like in five years from now? It's a great question. Um, I don't think anyone knows, but I can give, I can give what I think the state is now and how we get there. So I think the most tangible manifestation of the metaverse in my mind is video games. So you look at something like Fortnite, um, sure, it's a video game. People drop in a hundred at a time and they, you know, essentially compete in a battle royale. 
there's also concerts that take place in Fortnite. And if you're going to a concert in, a, in essentially a virtual world, that's a very metaverse-esque activity. And that's really the, I think, the most tangible building blocks right now. You mentioned semiconductors. Um, it takes a tremendous amount of sort of technology to power these persistent worlds where you know, more than a few people can, can kind of be concurrently. So that's a big piece of it. Mm. Um, I think we'll talk a little bit about crypto later, I'm sure. But, you know, the financial infrastructure is going to be an incredibly important piece of this, right? It's not, it's not going to get built if it can't, if there can't be kind of financial pathways going through it. That's another place. But I, I think the, the best example that is live now is probably video games and what you're seeing in some of these, you know, more more than a game type platforms that's dope yeah that's epic love it love it i i uh because i, I i'm actually invested in a company that's creating a, a video game right now um and you know we've partnered with meta and the nfl owners and lebron and drake and all these folks um to continue to help build it and flush it out so we talk about video games and and that being one of the first real proof of concept so to speak gets me excited you know what i'm saying it makes <laughs> yeah. me feel good right uh but like all right so so and not to to make you the metaverse expert here and have to answer all the questions about metaverse and explain it all but so facebook changed their name to meta right and they created the metaverse but what what makes them so special to to own it all right is it simply just a popularity thing or could us together right now create the nerdverse you know, like, I just want to kind of dive in there a bit. Yep. So um, I think there'll be a lot of people who watch this and have very strong opinions. I think that a company like Facebook being involved in the metaverse is important and good for a lot of reasons and problematic for others, right? Um, on the good, there's a lot of investment that needs to be made for this to exist. Uh, and for those investments to be made, there needs to be a financial incentive. I think that's something we can all hopefully agree on, right? Now, the other side of it is, no one who cares about the metaverse wants one party having too terribly much control because it's sort of antithetical to what is being built, right? It's supposed to be this, you know, and I think, again, this is kind of where you end up in crypto, but it should be somewhat decentralized. There should be no one party that exerts too much control over it because the reality is if that happens, it's not a great outcome, but also people can just leave. People don't have to be a part of Meta Platforms, Inc.'s metaverse if they don't want to. And I think that companies will realize over time that, the more they make their offering kind of interoperable with other offerings, the better off they're going to be because people like choice. People inherently want choice. So there's basically, there's the private companies investing in the space. There's potentially governments in investing in, in the space and the underlying technologies. I think what's happening in cryptocurrencies in a sort of decentralized way might be the most interesting kind of, uh, most interesting place to look if you want to understand what's going on. Uh, and if you want to invest, again, we can't offer an ETF with it because the regulators won't let us. We'd love to. Um, but I think that's like this almost decentralized effort to, to build things without formal organizational structures. That to me is really cool. You just teed me up. Uh, sounds like you wanted to do a uh, actual crypto ETF. So one, I want to give a shout out to Brandon Copeland's brother, Chad. He actually is doing the first ever accredited crypto. He's like a crypto expert. He uh he literally is doing the first ever accredited high school high school course on cryptocurrency. So he's like dope as hell at that. But going back to you teeing it up, it sounds as though you want to 
have a crypto ETF? And if that's the case, what would the top five holdings be? Oh, okay. Uh, so if it's a crypto ETF and not just a metaverse crypto ETF, I think Pure you have crypto. to. Have, yeah, I think you have to have Bitcoin. I think you have to have Ethereum. Um, I think next up, I'm a big Solana guy. So that you know, full disclosure, that's where a lot of my investments are. Um, I think Avalanche is another interesting one. Um, and and from there, there's a ton of choices. You could certainly, I think the way you would do it, you'd have Bitcoin, you'd have ETH, and then you'd have a bunch of stuff that's on ETH that you think is an interesting component of what you're trying to build. So mm -hmm. some of that's going to be ERC-20 tokens, so kind of layer twos. Some of it's going to be maybe NFTs. Maybe there's some you know allocation to NFTs, which creates a whole bunch of other potentially challenges. Um, and then I think you want to look at, I think the industry would call them like ETH challengers, right? So better ways of doing uh, a smart computer, um, whereas Bitcoin is kind of good at one thing. ETH tries to be really good at a lot of things. I think there will be kind of ongoing advancements in that space, and you'll want exposure to at least, at least some of the challengers that have some proof of concept into the market. So those would be some of the names I'd think about. Um, for the metaverse, honestly, it probably looks pretty similar. Uh, maybe Bitcoin gets a little less allocation because you can't do as much with it, but that's kind of how I think about it. I like that. Avalanche, that's the one I'm not familiar with, so I'm going to definitely do a little due diligence. Yeah, check it out. Uh, as as you probably know from previous due diligence, you start down the rabbit hole and then all of a sudden it's like three months later and you haven't <laughs> shaved or showered and it's the whole thing. So, Yeah, no, I could only imagine. Research at your own risk. Uh, so, so when yeah, you look exactly. at... I got the opportunity to, to hear someone speak yesterday, actually, about cryptocurrency, but also just blockchain technology and and Bitcoin being a, a storage of value, right? A store of value, so to speak, right? Um, but you got and you have metaverse, you have blockchain tech, you got cryptocurrency. What excites you the most, or is there any ranking in your in your mind? Yeah, so I think starting in, in almost reverse order, um, I think blockchain technology itself, if you just look at the the core components, it's essentially just a database. So setting aside the, the components of decentralization and, and and that stuff, which is where it becomes interesting. I mean, a lot of it's really just a better, a, a worse database in some people's minds, a better database in the sense that it's not owned by any one person, it's censorship resistant, all of that. So. The, the blockchain itself, I think, is just a, a database. So I think that's the least. I view the metaverse and the portion of the metaverse that's related to crypto as a subset of broader crypto. And I think crypto is the most interesting to me from a, from a zoomed out lens because of the number of things you can solve with cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, there'll probably be some place for regulation and that's, that's fine. Most, you know, Bitcoin maxis don't like that. But the reality is, the technology that's kind of being made available allows you to do things that in the existing financial services ecosystem are really just not possible. Um, and it, that, that to me is incredibly interesting. And whether they're not possible because of existing infrastructure and or regulation and or there's a ton of reasons, um, you kind of open up this Pandora's box of what could you, what is currently being done in an efficient way that could be done more efficiently on the blockchain and like, it's basically everything in my mind. And there will be lots of problems that come up as we move towards that future, but it will eventually be probably everything, right? I could send either of you, you know, a full uh, a full Bitcoin right now. And it would take like, what, five five minutes, maybe? Let's maybe see. Less, Let's see how it works. Just shoot me a, a quick 
a quick full Bitcoin. Let's see. Let's let let's see, let the audience see how that work real quick. Okay. All right. All right. I should I should have used something with a lower denomination or like anyway. The point is, I'm not sending you a whole Bitcoin right now, but you could, right? Um, and I think that's really cool. Whereas if we tried to go through the banking system, I'd need your bank information. I'd need to add it to my bank as a payee. Just having those banks requires all of this KYC and compliance checks. They got to make sure you're not financing terrorism and all this stuff. And again, some of that stuff's there for good reasons, but it creates an incredibly frictioned ecosystem. And I think a lot of that's going to get replaced.